So good. Is that true? Is Jesus all you need? He is. Sometimes we don't realize it. That is the truth. But sometimes we act other ways. We think other ways. But Lord, may that be true more and more that I realize that all I need is just Jesus. That's all I need. Yeah. It's so good. I'll even use that as a segue into a little bit where we're going this morning is I helped shape and redefine even the mission statement of this church several years ago when I became the pastor um, with the leadership team. We decided, what are we about? Who are we as a church? Every church is about Jesus, right? We're all about preaching the gospel, but every church has its own culture and things that they kind of focus in on. And so for me, this is our mission statement, reminding you what our mission statement is. I kind of said our vision at the beginning of the service. Um, our mission statement, just to remind you, is we pursue a relationship with God by embracing his promises, encountering his presence, and empowering his people. And I did those things with those E's and P's, right? The idea of embracing his promises, again, is just the word of God. The promises of God are in his word. And that I want to embrace everything that God has. God has made himself known to us, and I want to embrace every way that he communicates to me, and this being the number one way he communicates to us. And so I want to embrace all those things, that I want to encounter his presence, right? I want to, I want to actually have a relationship with him. The whole thing points back to pursuing a relationship. In my relationship with God, that means I've got to embrace every way he communicates to me. And one of the ways is, is not just communication, it's presence, Sometimes when I'm with my kids and my family, there isn't a lot of conversation going on. It's just being together, just watching a movie together. Nothing's going on this way, but actually things are. Just being a family and being together. I want to be with the presence of God. I want to just read information about him. I want to be with him. And so encountering his presence is a huge part of my pursuing a relationship with God. It's not just gaining information. It's this idea of embracing Yes, information, but then encountering. I just, I want to know him, as, as Nick was saying during worship, right? In our soul, that mind, will, and emotions. In every way, I want to know God. And that last one is empowering people. God wants us to be empowered as we have a relationship with him. He, the idea is that we are his children, that we're co-heirs with Christ, and he wants us to actually do something. That we're not here just to have a relationship with God. He says, all right, now bring the kingdom of God everywhere you go. Bring other people in on this relationship. So that, again, I'm just trying to remind you of who we are as a people, that this is what this church is about, is we're just in a pursuit of a relationship with God. And so I love what Jen says is that, I just need him. I just need him. And in this, as you heard her maybe getting a little bit choked up in that, sometimes we pursue other things. And sometimes, I'm just being honest with you, sometimes I pursued doing devotions and dis disciplining myself to do that. And that's a good thing. But if my pursuit is that I can tell someone, yeah, I read the Bible today. But my pursuit wasn't, I just want relationship with God. Even a good thing gets tainted. And I'm just saying, I want to boil it all down. Who is Ryan? Who is this church? We're just pursuing a relationship with God. We want a real, authentic, not just a religious, doctrinal, correct-sounding theology. I want all those things. But more important, I just want relationship. I just want him. And any way he wants to be, communicate, that's how I want to pursue him. And so I'll use that as where we're headed this morning. Um, I talked last week about Nehemiah. We kind of did a, a real quick thing, 11 points through Nehemiah. I didn't plan on doing this again, but I'm going to go through the book of Zechariah. And that's if you want to start turning your Bibles there. Um, it's right before the New Testament. It's, it's the second to the last Bible in the Old Testament. So past Psalms, Proverbs, keep going. If you hit Matthew, you went too far. Um, Zechariah is where we're headed. And um, I'm going to do something similar where we're not going to read big, long portions. We're just going to kind of go real quick, shotgun style. Um, 
But the idea is this morning, I want to look at Zechariah because I was chewing on this thought that in my pursuit of a relationship with God, there's ways that God communicates that sometimes, I want to say sometimes, I'll make this personal. For a long time in my relationship with God, I thought that prophecy, dreams, and visions, like I believed, I grew up in this church, and I went to a church before that was Pentecostal. I've always believed since I was born, since I understood who God was, I've always believed in the prophetic, in dreams and visions, because I read about in the Bible, so I knew that's what God did. But I always, in my relationship with God, thought that was like, well, that was for those special people back then, or there's people that have it today, but it's like for those special people over there, and like, they have dreams, I've never had a dream from God, and I've shared this before, I've probably, probably a handful of times, maybe four or five times, I've actually shared with you a dream I had at nighttime, and then God was speaking to me, and I shared some of that with you on a Sunday morning. Um, but it wasn't until about 15 years ago that I ever had my first God dream. And I'm not making this whole dream on a fringe thing. I, this whole sermon or this whole topic today is about fringe things. I'm just saying I'm in a pursuit of a relationship with God. And as I read the Bible, in fact, um, Nick was talking about on Wednesday night, right? The greatest two commandments, Jesus says this, right, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. We said that a couple times this morning. And the second one is what? To love your neighbor as yourself, right? And then Jesus says something. He says, these two commands, it says, all the Old Testament, all the law and the prophets hang from these two commands. There's something about all, Jesus identifies what he had as the scripture at that time. New Testament wasn't written. So when he said the Bible, he said the Bible is the law and the prophets. There's something about the prophetic that God has always used throughout the Bible, right? I remember reading years ago, studying for um, a Christmas sermon and, and looking at the story, and I never realized how many times Joseph had a dream. Joseph was going to divorce Mary, and he had a dream, and the angel spoke to him in the dream, no, you're not going to divorce Mary. You're going to marry her. This is what God is saying. Okay, he did that, right? Um, had a dream, uh, flee to Egypt, right? And there's dreams in between. The, the wise men come. They get a dream at night. Don't return back to Herod. Go back a different way. There's all these dreams that happen just in the Christmas story. And I just started thinking about this, right? The very last book of the Bible, if you're not comfortable with dreams and visions, then you must not be comfortable with the Bible. <laughs> because it's all over here. The last book of the Bible is nothing but this huge vision that John is given from Jesus to John for you and me. It's a vision that John gets for us. That we're supposed to interpret, we're supposed to read and study. And he says there's a blessing if we read it and try to understand it. And so there's so much of the prophetic that I just always relegated to like, well, that's like extra. Like that's like the cherry on top. But let, give me the meat and potatoes. And I just feel like God is saying, actually, look at your Bible. If you are pursuing a relationship with God, the prophetic is the meat and the potatoes. It's the way he's a, he's a mysterious God. And he wants to communicate to us. And there's ways that maybe we don't feel comfortable or we don't like, well, that's like, for, that's that like weird denomination within the church. Like most of the church doesn't believe in that. And that's for the, it's just biblical. It might be weird, but it's biblical. Can I say it that way? The prophetic dreams and visions is biblical. And I'm so, I guess for me, I, I don't want to scare you that we're going out to some fringe thing. I want to reveal to us in God's word that it is weird, but it's God and it's biblical. 
So I'm, I'm not trying to make us a strange, weird church, but I want us to be relevant to what God is saying and doing. It's all connected to, I'm just pursuing a relationship with God. And if you think this is weird, then that's okay because God is okay with being labeled weird. He's a supernatural God. He's a mysterious God. And that's, that's just the way he communicates. So I have to learn to be okay with that if I want to pursue a relationship with him. As Nick said, because it's not all going to be understood. Scripture says this. Scripture is actually only spiritually discerned. You can't understand this without the Holy Spirit revealing to you things. And so the Holy Spirit is mysterious. And I want all of that. And I'll connect this, this thought too. If you look at the Old Testament, the prophets, right? A good portion of the scriptures. It seems to be that most of the prophetic books are on this hinge of history. Right before Israel is going to be exiled, all these prophets are saying, repent, repent. Like bad things are about to happen unless you listen to what God is saying. And all these prophets are doing strange and weird things, right? Some of them going naked. Some of them cooking their food over poop. Like talk about strange, weird things. The Bible is full of strange, weird things. But he's trying to get their attention through the prophetic, through dreams and visions saying, listen to me. If you don't, something bad is going to happen to you. And then on the other side, you have all these other prophets, all these books of the, of the Bible, all these prophets on the other side of the exile. They've already disobeyed. God has brought judgment. They've been brought out of their land, and now they're returning. And God is saying, rebuild. There is hope. I have mercy for you. I will return to you if you return to me. And so on this hinge of history of a nation, the fate of a nation is pretty much all the prophetic books in the Old Testament on this hinge of one nation and what they're going to do. And I don't want to make this all political. That's not where I'm going. I'm just saying they're all talking about, too, Zechariah, as we get in there, is, is, is referred to as scholars as the most messianic book of the Old Testament. Talking about Jesus all over the place. Jesus quotes from it uh, his last few days of life where he's with his disciples in the upper room and all those things. He quotes from Zechariah more than any other book in those last few days. So Zechariah is full of the messianic of future, of hope. And I guess for me, I look at Jesus' first coming. There were so many prophecies about Jesus coming, and people missed it. There's so many prophecies about Jesus' second coming, and people are missing it. I, I want a relationship with God, and I want to understand his word, so I've got to embrace the prophetic. I've got to embrace strange ways of which he communicates that it wouldn't be the way I would do it, but I'm not God. So I'm going to come under his way of doing things, and I'm going to pursue them because that's what God does. He says, if you want me, then pursue me. And as you pursue me, I'll make myself known to you. So I'm just, is this making sense? I'm just trying to give context of where we're headed. That Zechariah, he has these eight visions, and there's some strange, weird visions, and we're going to look at that today. And so Zechariah chapter 1, hopefully you're there. Um, let me see if there's anything else I wanted to say before we jump right in and read. Okay, I do, I want to say this. I talked about the hinge. These prophets, they're either saying repent or rebuild. And I, I feel like often that's kind of the word of the Lord to his people, even on a personal level. Are there things in your life that you need to repent of, things that are not right, that are not healthy between you and God. And he says, all right, let's repent. Let's deal with those things. And then there's things where he says, all right, I've forgiven you of those things. Let's rebuild. Let's have hope and a future. Let's start getting excited about what God is about to do. Let's not 
be condemned or allow the accuser of the brethren come and slow you down and trip you up in your old past sin. No, let's rebuild, right? And so I feel like that's a good word in itself for you this morning. If I didn't preach a whole other sermon, some of us need to hear that. God, where in my life do I need to repent? And where in my life do I need encouragement to get off and be passionate about building your kingdom and doing things for you, right? And so you have this. And so I want to, as we look into these portions of scripture through Zechariah, I want us to look at how these weird, strange visions and dreams, they applied to that day and age, thousands of years ago, to Zechariah's life. He was prophesying to that day and age. He also was messianic, as I just said, the most messianic book in the Old Testament. He's talking about Jesus is coming hundreds and hundreds of years later after he's alive, after Zechariah's dead, right? Jesus is coming. He's prophesying about that. There's things that we're about to read that I believe are for you and I today. That's something about prophecies. I love how God, it's his breathed word. It will not return to him void. It, heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will remain forever. And I know that's written scripture, but it's also these prophetic words. They tie in. If it's really a prophetic word from God, it's connected and, and bears witness with the written word of God. And so I want us to understand even these prophecies, yes, they have time slots where they fit perfectly, but it's not like they're done away with. Is that making sense? All right. So Zechariah. Strange, weird stuff happening. Let's just jump into it. I, I don't, it's hard because there's so much to read, and I don't want to get stuck wasting all my time just reading. Um, uh, all right, let's just do it. Uh, Zechariah chapter 1. Let's just start in verse 8. Let me get there. Verse 8. So if you didn't catch this, it's, it's this vision that he has. And it says this in verse 8. I saw by night. Would you say that's a dream or a vision? I saw by night. And behold, a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow. And behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white. We'll stop there. That's what he had. And then there's more explanation. So you get that? He saw a man among some myrtle trees and some horses. Everyone got that, right? You know what that means? <laughs> Strange and weird. But would you agree this is the word of the Lord? This is how God was commuting to Zechariah through a dream that to me and my common sense makes no sense. Okay, you saw a man with some trees and horses. What does that mean? Right? And he even says that. Verse 9, then I said, my Lord, what are these? So Zechariah is the prophet, and he's like, I don't know what this means. It's okay not to understand when God's speaking. It's okay to say, God, can you help me? Holy Spirit, guide me into truth. What does this mean? Right? And so he's asking the right question. So the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And so I'll stop right there. Because even when he explains, you read the whole book of Zechariah. We're going to go through these eight, and i got to go quick. He explains them, and then I'm like, okay, I still don't get it. <laughs> like the angel's like, you'll read it later on. He'll, he'll say, what does that mean? And then the angel will say what it means. And he says, the angel will say to Zechariah, do you get it? He's like, no, I don't get it. Right? And so I just want to know, I just want, to me, that's so comforting that Zechariah, the prophet in the Bible, didn't even understand. So I'm in good company. I'm like, oh, thank you. I have something to grow and learn in, and it doesn't mean I'm this horrible, bad person that I don't have dreams or that when I do have a dream, I don't know what it means. No, it's in this process of relationship. God wants to make himself known, and he does it over time. He does it through, he's not just wanting to reveal, thus saith the Lord, and here he lays everything out. He wants you to engage with him. And I guess for me, I'll, ah, he wants to, you to partner with the prophetic. I, I read that to open up, um, our service, I read from Zechariah chapter 4. There needs to be partnership in the prophetic. I was thinking about how Moses, you guys remember the story, the burning bush? 
I remember hearing, I don't know, a pastor or someone say, it's like, oh, we don't know for sure, but when he said it, I was like, that's what I think. I'm, I'm putting Ryan's personal, you know, I'm hanging in my hat on that one. It says that he saw this bush burn and it never was consumed. It could have been that it all happened just as he's walking by and it never consumed. He's like, oh, what is that? And he finally went over. I think what this other pastor thinks. I think as he was walking by on his way home, he saw a tiny little bush on fire. He's like, that's weird, and went home. And the second day, he walked by. That's weird. That bush is still burning. That's weird. Went home. Third day, walked by. It's still burning? That is so weird. And it wasn't until he turned aside and actually went towards the bush and partnered with the prophetic that finally he heard the voice of God say, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. There was something about, he recognized that's strange. That's weird. But when he actually went and pursued the strange and weird, oh, God spoke. I wonder how much of the church sees things as strange and weird and says, I don't want the strange and weird, so I'll keep doing what I'm doing. But God is saying, I want to communicate to you. I want to have a relationship with you. And guess what? I'm a supernatural God. So our relationship is going to take you some faith to believe in some things that don't make sense in your common intellect. And so I, I love this. That Zechariah is learning as a prophet. What the heck does that mean? I don't know what that means. Angels trying to interpret him. He still doesn't know what it means. So for me, I love, I spent way too much time studying this entire book, reading tons of commentaries. I loved it. I had, I geeked out in my Bible scholar days, right? This whole week, just, I have so much information here. There's no way it's all going to come out because I don't think God wants all this information coming out. He wants his truth to come out, whatever he wants, a revealed word to come forth. But I love that as I'm studying, all these scholars have all this intellect and they're trying to pour in and understand what these prophecies mean. But most people, if you, they'll agree, this first prophetic word, I'm not going to spend this time on all of them, but this first one, they'll say, all right, there's this vision of a man and horses in the myrtle trees, and it means that God will be merciful again. How did you get that out of that? But that's what God is saying. He's giving Zechariah a dream. And he's seeing these weird things, and he's telling it. What he's saying is, I'm going to be merciful again. You've come back to Jerusalem and you're trying to rebuild and you're questioning things. Let me remind you, I will be merciful. I judged you and now I'm going to be full of mercy and compassion and grace. This is what he's communicating. So it makes sense those people that day and age, they needed to hear that word. They were trying to do things and they said, do we have God's favor or not? Because things don't look like it. We're trying to rebuild and are we doing this on our own or is God's favor and mercy on us? And this prophet comes to say, I had a dream. God is saying his mercy is on us. It brought them hope and encouragement and edified them to say, oh, God is for us. Jesus, messianic, he's come to bring mercy. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. He's coming to say, I will be merciful again. Right? In your own personal life, you need to hear those words. That Jesus is merciful. His mercies are new every single morning. Great is his faithfulness. There is nothing you can do that's so bad that it will put a stain on your life that he says, yeah, I, I'm merciful to most people, but for you, I can only give you a little bit of mercy. That's not who God is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I will be merciful again. I will have mercy triumph over where I should be giving you judgment. Nope, I choose to extend mercy to you. Some of us need to hear those words. They're fresh rhema words. That's a strange way to say it. A man, what do you, how do you connect those things? So really quick, we'll look at the verse just a couple later where, where it says, 
in verse 14. So chapter 1, verse 14 and 16. I'll do 16 first. Verse 16 says this. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I'm returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts. I don't understand how that vision means exactly that, but this is what God is saying through this. You can read the verses. It's all connected here. Chapter 1, verses, what did I say? Verse 7 through the end of the chapter, right? That's all about this one vision. But God in the middle is saying, I'm coming back and I'm going to be merciful. And I'm going to build my house in you, with you. You are going to be the temple, and I'm going to pour out my spirit, and you're going to be filled as the temple of the living God. Do you see how that's messianic? Do you see how that's for us today? Right? There's these things that, man, this is thousands of years ago, but God speaks through strange ways that I still don't understand how a man and a horse and all those things, but I want to know. God, increase my understanding because you're saying you're going to be merciful again through a weird vision. So I want to learn, right? So that's the first one. Second one, chapter 2, right? Actually, no, Chapter 1, verse 18, I'm sorry, it's not to the end of it. Verse 18 is where we have a new vision. So we'll start at chapter 1, verse 18. It says this. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked to me, what are these? So he answered me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Verse 20. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these? So he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so no one could lift up his head, but the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nation that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah and scattered it. All right, a little bit easier, but still weird. Horns and craftsmen, how are those even related? Horns, like animal horns and a craftsman, what is he saying, right? But God is saying things. He's speaking. He's saying, your enemy will be cast out. There were four horns or four nations. There was these things, or Babylon and Assyria, all these Canaanites. They were people that came and drew the people away out of their promised land. The enemy was having his way with the people of God. But God said, all right, but I'm bringing up four craftsmen. They're going to rebuild you, and they're going to scatter those horns out. The enemy will be scattered. Let God arise, his enemies be scattered. Right? That's a prophetic word for Zechariah and his people. They were terrified. They were slaves. They were, for the last 70 years, they were living in exile. They, again, like Moses, trying to get these slaves to think differently. God is trying to get these people to think differently, a whole generation that's been slaves. And he's saying, no, you used to live in enemy territory, but it's time right now that I'm going to cast the enemy out of your presence and I'm going to rebuild you. Do you see how that's messianic? That Jesus came, it says that he came to destroy the works of the enemy. Going back to Adam and Eve, that Adam and Eve were given dominion over the earth. They were to subdue it and they were to have everything. But when they disobeyed God, it says they obeyed the enemy. And in doing so, they gave dominion. They gave authority. Scripture says that, that Satan became the prince of the power of the air, right? He has authority on this planet. Jesus came to undo the works of the enemy. To say, you no longer have dominion. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He said that when he destroyed the enemy on the cross. So he came to undo it. Let the enemy be scattered. The same thing for your personal life today. You could be in a place where the enemy seems to be running rampant. And God is saying to you today, I'm going to scatter your enemies. I am your deliverer. I am your rescuer. I will rebuild the things where the enemy came to destroy. I will use what the enemy meant for evil, and I'm going to use it for your benefit. 
that even your trials and difficulties where you failed and you sinned and you made a mistake, I can make beauty out of your ashes. I can do it. I can rebuild. I'm the craftsman. I can make anything beautiful out of your life. We need to hear these words today. Do you hear how it's relationship? It's not these strange, fringe, prophetic things that are for some weird people. It's for me. I need to hear that. I need to hear God say, Ryan, calm down. Let peace enter your heart. The enemy is all around you, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I need to hear these words of life. It's not fringy, strange, weird things. I need God speaking to me through dreams, through visions, through however it takes, through the word of God, which is a lot of prophetic and dreams and visions, right? I got to go faster because we got to go through eight. We're on two, three. So we're on the third vision. Chapter two, are we there yet? Yes, verse one. So it's a man with a measuring line. Then I raised my eyes and looked and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So let's just stop there. You guys get it? That was the entire dream. He saw a man with a measuring tape. Great, what does that mean? Right? And I, I'm just, I'm giving you, I could be wrong, I'm giving you a whole week's worth of studying this. So take it for what you want. But I pray that you hear the, the Holy Spirit is anointing something with my interpretation. It's not just Ryan's interpretation. Hopefully you're getting something from this. But the man with the measuring line, it means God will protect you. Not only will he scatter his enemies, he will protect you. Where do I get that from? Look further in the verse, verse uh, the chapter, verse 5, it says this. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. This is where the people, like, this is still the same time of Nehemiah we talked about last week. They're trying to rebuild the walls. They're trying to rebuild the temple. And God is saying, actually, what you're trying to do to protect, and here's your boundary of what Jerusalem's going to be. He's saying, actually, I'm going to be a wall of fire around you. There is no boundary lines. What I want to do with you, you can't put a limit on. I will be the wall of fire around you. I will determine how far you get to go. I want to press down into you, well shaken, overflowing, right? I want to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond where you think I just need protection right here. God is saying, no, I'm going to be a fiery wall around you that wherever you go, I will protect you. You don't have to stay in this place. You can go into the world and not be of the world. You can bring my kingdom everywhere you go. That my fire is with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am with you. I will be in you. My glory will be in you. Do you hear how this is? Yes, for them, it's about Jesus coming, but it's for me today. That Jesus is my wall of fire. That he's with me. His glory can be seen in me. God, may that be true. May people see your glory as they look at me. That Ryan is just somehow a container of the glory of God that I burn bright. These things, they're prophetic. They're dripping with truth and life. I'll just stop and say now before we can, we're only three in. This has been my prayer. I've been like you. Where I've read scripture, still do it, where I read scripture and I get something. Like that's a good truth. I've heard that before. Okay, and I go throughout the day. But my prayer is, that God's word becomes alive. As I'm standing up here, hopefully you see I'm a little bit passionate up here. That when we read God's word, something burns within us. That's for me. That's for my life, God. I'm embracing that. I'm going to declare that over myself. That you're a wall of fire. That you protect me. And I want to be careful. I, I've li I listened to so many different pastors. And I remember one time my spirit was grieved when I heard a pastor talk about David and Goliath. And he was... 
He was chastising other churches that, that teach their people that, that you have Goliaths in your midst and, and, and um, no, that you don't, that don't compare yourself to David. David had a real Goliath and your little problem of your financials, you know, that's not Goliath. Don't declare that over yourself. And I was like, what are you saying, Pastor? I, my heart was grieved because I'm like, no, everything in God's word, it's for me. If David had a giant, then I'm going to have giants in my life, and I'm going to overcome them. I'm going to be like David. I'm going to say, no, you come against me with all these other things that are supposed to bring fear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. Right? There's things that I, I can't do that. I can't relegate that David is some holy man over here, and I'm not like him. God's word says in, in Hebrews, right, it says that, that Elijah was just a man, but he prayed, and it didn't rain for years. And as just a man saying a simple prayer, it began to rain. I love that it says that. He was just a man. I'm just a man. God, may my prayers actually do something. Man, I'm fired up. Sorry. It's because it's good stuff. This isn't just weird Zachariah. What does that mean? There's life in these words. So in the third one, the fourth one, we're not even halfway through yet. It's the high priest. Uh, which verse do I want to read to you? We'll read verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. Now Joshua, the high priest, was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away these filthy garments from him. We'll stop there. So he has this vision of the high priest having filthy garments. But the interpretation is God will cleanse you and clothe you. God will cleanse you and clothe you. God is saying that to his people back then in Zechariah's day. You have a high priest, but everything seems to be wrong. The temple's not rebuilt. The people are still scattered. It's, it's a mess. And even the high priest isn't doing what he's supposed to do. It, he needs cleansing. But God is giving this prophetic word. I'm going to cleanse Joshua. I'm going to give, actually, if you keep, we'll get there. Hopefully, I'm going to bring a new high priest, Joshua. And I'm going to cleanse him and anoint him. And I'm going to clothe him with righteousness. Do you see how this is messianic? Do you see how this is for you today? He is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We have a God who wants to cleanse us. He wants to give us, right, the prodigal son to clothe us, to put a ring on our finger, sandals on our feet. He doesn't want to just remove sin from us. He wants to actually clothe us with his righteousness. I know I've shared this before, but I love it. It's that analogy, right, that Jesus doesn't just wipe away our sins and give us a clean slate. He does that. But on top of that, he credits all of Jesus' righteousness, meaning all the things Jesus did right, he puts into our account. So I'm not only forgiven, I'm just a clean slate. I actually have all the righteousness of Jesus in my account. All the, all the things he earns and deserves is I, mean, I inherited those. I inherit everything that Jesus earned, and I earn nothing of it. It's still mine because he clothes me. Not only cleanses me, he clothes me. He clothes me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's incredible. It's too good not to be excited about that God is giving these visions and dreams to these weary people that know nothing about Jesus at this time in Zechariah's day. And you and I on the other side of Christ, we understand what this means to be cleansed and clothed. Thank you, Jesus. Again, sometimes these are strange visions. The next one, chapter 4, 
This one's actually the longest one. I hope I have time to come back to it. But really quick, it's these, oh, do I read it? Let's do it. Okay. So chapter 4, now let's start at verse 1. Now the angel who talked to me came back and wakened me. So was he asleep? He was asleep, right? As a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking, and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And, the stand, and on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angels who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Here it is, verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I love that. Well, stop. You don't understand this? There's this lamp. Again, remember lamps back then? They were oil lamps that had, that had like oil inside this container, and the, the flame came out of it. And so there's seven lamps on this lamp stand holding seven lamps. And there's this bowl that's above it, and these tubes that come from the bowl feeding the oil from the bowl into all these lamps. But how is the bowl getting its oil? Trees on its right and left, olive trees that are supplying oil into the bowl, the bowl to the lamps. All right, so understanding, just so you understand what that dream was. To me, this is the most important one that I want to try to hit, and I don't know if I'm going to have time to come back to it. But he's saying through this dream that God will empower you by his spirit. Probably the most quoted of Zechariah, right? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is what God is saying to the people then, trying to rebuild the temple. And this whole chapter, he's saying Zerubbabel, the governor, the king of, of Israel at that time. You need to build the temple. And you're not going to do it by great artisans or having enough resources. It's not going to come that way. It's by my spirit. That's how you're going to finish the temple. He's saying it to them then. He's saying to when Jesus arrives, right? Jesus was alive for 30 days. There's nothing recorded of any miracles he did, any ministry he had. It wasn't by his own intellect that he studied Torah and memorized the entire first five books of the Bible. It wasn't through that. It was after he was baptized in water, came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him. It was by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus had a ministry. That Jesus began walking towards the cross to lay down his life, to do what he was called to do. You cannot do what you're called to do. You cannot be equipped to do what you're called to do unless the Holy Spirit is supplying it. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Let's do this quick. All right. The sixth one, chapter 5, verse 1. We've got to go quick. I won't even read it. It's a flying scroll. What does a flying scroll mean? I'll just tell you that God curses dishonesty. God curses dishonesty. Uh, verse chapter, so where did I get this from? Verse 4, it says this. I will send out the curse, says the Lord, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the liar and tear it down. I love this because in that day and age, there were people that were trying to rebuild. There were people that were doing the right thing, but there were still people in their midst. It was mixed. And there were people that were saying lies. They were partying with the enemy. And God says, I'm going to send out a curse, and I'm going to tear down their influence over you. You're not going to listen to the lie of the enemy anymore. Right? Messianic again. Jesus kept saying, you speak lies because you listen to your father, the father of lies. Right? He came to tear down those things. The Lord wants to do that in your life where you are listening to Fox News, where you're listening to, I don't know, probably stepped on someone's toes there. Whatever it is, you're listening to different things in your life, and God is saying, I want to silence those things in your life. I want to tear down those strongholds that influence you to make decisions that aren't truly honoring to me. He wants to tear those things down. Seven, I'm just going to go quick, so we've got to get there. Chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, there's a woman in a basket. 
What does that mean? It means that God will remove wickedness from in, within you. God will remove wickedness. There was this idea, the dream, um, that the, uh, the basket lid was taken up and this woman was in there. And in the dream, shoved that lead lid back on that woman and said, get this basket out of here. And it flew to Babylon. That's where they were captives. And so God was saying, I'm going to remove all the wickedness in my land and throw it out to Babylon. In other words, looking messianic, looking even to our future, that God is going to come and deal with wickedness on this earth. He's going to judge this earth. And there will be a day that he removes all the wickedness and throws hell into a lake of fire. There will be a day where God brings justice. And he says, all right, I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be no wickedness left at all. Zero wickedness. It's coming, and I'm excited for that day. But until that day, I get to partner with the Holy Spirit and crush the deeds of darkness everywhere I go. I get to partner with the prophetic and do it with him, right? All right, so I'm just going quick. The last one, the eighth one, there's four chariots. What does that mean? God's, God executes judgment on the whole earth. And I'm, okay, really quick. The verse is verse eight, chapter six, verse eight. Those who go have given rest to my spirit. And I was thinking about this. What does that mean? How does that bring rest to his spirit? I was thinking about this. Genesis chapter one, it says the Holy Spirit was hovering over the chaos. Over the dark, behold, deep darkness covered the earth. And the Holy Spirit hovered over that and then brought order. He created. And I see this. It says that he's bringing judgment, these four chariots, that there's going to be a day. Right now, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the chaos of my life, hovering over the chaos of our nation, hovering over the chaos. And there will be a day where the Holy Spirit finally gets to rest. <laughs> oh, it will bring rest to the Holy Spirit when there's no chaos and wickedness on this planet. Super quick, let's see if I can do it. All right. So these, these eight visions. But I love that end, they ended in chapter 6, verse 8. But now in chapter 6, verse 9. Here we go. Let's see if I can do this really quick. It's not visions. Now it's getting practical. The word of the Lord comes to Zechariah. It's not through a vision or dream. It's like, this is what you're going to go do right now, this very second. And he says this. Let's just do it. Verse 9. He says this. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, receive the gift from the captives. I won't read all the names who have come from Babylon. So go to, go to them the same day and enter the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown or crowns, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. We'll stop there. What's going on? Something that has never happened in all the history of Israel. That's not supposed to happen. The high priest was crowned as king. Not supposed to do that. The high priest is the minister. He ministers to God, ministers to people. Don't mix them. The king is the king. The priest is the priest. But the Lord, Lord came and says, no, right now, we're on a hinge of history. Things change. Now it's the time to crown the high priest, to bring royalty and priesthood together. Do you see how that's messianic? Jesus, right, says he was the priest under the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a king, and he was a priest. Jesus was a king and a priest. In here, Joshua was a king and a priest. What does 1 Peter 2.9 say? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You are to walk in authority as a king, but also as a priest who ministers to God and to people. There is an anointing on you to do this. It's, it, it all lines up. It's not just Old Testament weird prophecy. It's not just, oh, that's just during Jesus' day. It's for us today. And I want us to understand that the word of the Lord is living and it's active. And I want to connect it again really quick to that chapter 4, to those two olive trees. Because in all this study, 
I loved hearing that I think in that day and age, what it says with those two olive trees were those who stand before the Lord. And in the practical sense, it means Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the king. That they were the anointed ones. You anoint a king. You anoint the new head priest. And it says these two anointed ones who stand in the presence of God, they are the olive trees. And as they are anointed, they will supply the anointing to the bowl that then supplies the oil to all the lamps. The seven lamps. You remember Revelation? There's seven churches. To the church. It's saying that the royalty and the priestly coming and flowing together in one bowl, flowing together as one on the church is what makes the church alive. It comes together. You've got to have royalty and priestly where the anointing comes together. Jesus doing that beautifully, but you and I learning how to do that beautifully. And I love the interpretation. The Hebrew word for those olive trees, it says the oily ones, the sons of oil. God, may we become sons and daughters of oil. May we become the oily ones. That in my household, that my wife and I become the oily ones that supply the oil of God to all of my children. That in the leadership of this church, we become the oily ones to supply oil to the rest of you guys to do the work of the ministry. That it's not up to me to bear this great flame. No, I have to draw on the anointing of Jesus. And I love this interpretation I read too. That when Jesus came, Messianic, that vision, Jesus being one of the trees and the Holy Spirit being one of the trees who stand before God the Father. And that Jesus, God the Father sent Jesus into the earth, and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit into the earth. And so when we pray, am I praying for Jesus to help me, or am I praying for the Holy Spirit to help me? Yes. I'm under the anointing of both. That The Father anointed his Son, the Father and Jesus anointed the Holy Spirit to come, and I'm under both anointing. And I quote it all the time, whether it makes you comfortable or not. I quote Isaiah 61 over myself all the time, as Jesus quoted over himself. The Spirit of the Lord God has anointed me, has come upon me and anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Not, not just behind the pulpit, but everywhere I go in life, I'm to bring good news of the gospel everywhere I go. I'm to, to, to heal broken hearts, to see where people are broken. They don't know the love of God, and I am to bring the oil of God, the oil of gladness. That I've been anointed with the joy of the Lord that gives me strength so I can bring strength to others in their time of need. That I can heal those broken hearts. That I can set captives free. Those who are influenced and lied and in bondage and, and confused. That I can bring the word of truth in a way that's relevant. Not just hitting them over the head with God's word, but with an anointing saying, here's the word of God for you. It's not some fix-it truth. It's saying, what, God, what are you saying? In my love for this person, would you, Holy Spirit, give me the right words at the right time to say to this person that it ministers to their heart and it sets them free? That was just the first six chapters, and there's 14 chapters in that good book. I don't have time to go any further. But as I'm wrapping this up, I guess there's multiple things in my heart. I want to make sure that we as a church body that we're all in together that we're just pursuing a relationship with God and I want more of him no matter what. And if it means that I have to get past my intellect, past my preferences, past whatever it is that it's, it's me, I just want more of Jesus. And if it means that I have to ask for dreams and visions, great, I'll ask for those. I just, I just want to share the testimony. I, I, I won't say who, but even my own family, I I love, I pray, I've shared this several times. I pray over my kids all the time that they outdo me in every way. And I don't mean that as a 
as a scary thing for them. I just mean, it took until I was an adult and had kids before I had my first dream from God. My kids, they're getting dreams. And they're asking, because they hear dad talk about dreams, they're like, well, I can probably get one too. I love that I've instilled that in them. That now they're questioning and they're pursuing. Well, I had a weird dream and they come and tell me, and I'm like, that was just a weird dream. You were thinking about what you did the last day and it has nothing to do with what God was saying to you. But great, you told me your dream. You're actually thinking about was God speaking to me? I applaud that and I love that. And I'll just say this last week, one of my four kids came to me and told me a dream off the first, my natural mind, I'm like, that was not a God dream. But I was like, all right, well, maybe there's something there I can redeem. And I went to go text my kid back about what I thought and I got a download. I was like, are you kidding me? I thought it was four horns and four craftsmen. Like, what the heck does that mean? I don't know what that means. But as I partnered with the prophetic, as I said, okay, maybe there's something and I started to text something, I got a whole good word for my kid. I just started giving, this is what God is saying to you. And I, all these connections, all these things I thought were weird things, God was speaking to my child and giving them a vision of their future. Thank you, God, that my kid has a God dream. And I'm sharing that not to puff up my kids. I'm saying because as a father of this house, I'm desiring for you to have a desire for dreams. For you to actually, before you go to bed at night, say, God, I don't know about this thing. I don't know what Pastor Ryan's talking about. And if I get a dream, I'd rather be like Zachariah where I don't understand it. But God, I just want more of you. And in my pursuit of a relationship with you, I'll do whatever seems to be biblical. I'll ask for the prophetic. I'll ask for visions and dreams. Does that make sense? And the other thing in my heart is Daniel wants to come up and worship team as I kind of land this plane. The oily ones. I could not get past that chapter four. I've read that chapter. I, I'm telling you, it's been underlined in my Bible since I've had my Bible for years and years and years. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In that same chapter, don't despise the, be, the beginning, the small things, right? Don't, how's it go? Don't despise the day of small things, right? There's so much packed in that vision. I'll just say it this way. Do you want to be an oily one? I love what David says in Psalm 23. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. I grew up in this church where what I visually saw as anointing was the pastor leader got a vial of oil and they like dabbed a little bit on their finger and they put it on your head. And I was like, okay, I got anointed. I'm not saying that's wrong. But when David was saying that, Psalm 23, he's talking about a whole flask, a whole bottle of oil. When a priest and a king got anointed, they dumped the whole thing. The top of the head and the oil flowed from the top of his head all the way down till you're drenched in oil, till your cup runs over. Do you want to be an oily one? Are you satisfied being marked? as a Christian or do you want to just become so oily that it drips off of you that you become priestly like Aaron where the oil drips off your beard and it's for the blessing of those around you that it splashes out all over you everyone else around you gets the benefits of being near you because they're near the Holy Spirit and if that's you I would you just stand with me as we close the service and just say, here I am, Lord. I just, I want to be oily. 
Maybe put your hands in front of you and just join me in this simple prayer. God, I, I identify I'm a Christian. I've given you my life. But God, today I afresh and anew make this commitment that I want you at any cost. I want to burn. I want to yearn with passion. I don't want to have you just as a part of my life. I want you to be my everything. I want to have you burn within me that I want you more than anything this world has to offer. God, I want a relationship with you that it just consumes. Would you come be a consuming fire and purge me, burn me, Lord God, of all the things that, that are not right. God, where there's fears, remove them, scatter them. Would you scatter my enemies? God, may you arise. May God arise. May my enemies of fear, of self-doubt, may they be scattered. And may I receive what I don't deserve, a clean heart and a garment of praise. May you clothe me, cleanse me and clothe me. May I become an oily one. May I be called in the heavens, God. As I, as I read your word, it says that you doted on, that you bragged about Job. You said there's no one like him. God, that you bragged in the heavenlies about David, that he's, he's after my own heart. God, that you bragged so that Moses, he speaks to me face to face. God, there's something about when I read your word that you brag about your children. God, I want to be that one. I want to be that one that's so soaked in oil that you talk about me in the heavenlies and you name me as the oily one. I'm the son of oil. I'm the daughter of oil. That my cup runs over. That my well never runs dry. That Jesus, you become within me a wellspring of life. That I become a fountain. That rivers of living water flow and gush up out of me. That I lack no good thing. So God, I yield. I submit. And I come under your authority. I come under your anointing. Pour out your anointing on me, not for my selfish sake, but for your glory, for your kingdom, for your church. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Would you join us as we sing one last song? And if you need prayer for anything, maybe you received that, but you want more, we're gonna have some leaders up here just available to pray over you. But you guys will be dismissed after we sing this last song. Maybe you received something that you don't fully understand yet. What would it be like Zachariah and just say, I don't understand. But Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you, Jesus.